0: This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovators Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation.
1: I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome to the Garage at the Killer Innovations Show. We're all about ideas, creativity, and innovations, and encouraging you to take the risk and change the world. This week, we're going to deviate from the normal format and jump right in with our guest this week, Peter Goover. Peter is the chairman and CEO of Mandalay Entertainment. He's the former chairman and CEO of Sony Picture Entertainment. His films have earned over $3 billion in revenue and has 50 Academy Award nominations. He's also part owner of the Golden State Warriors and L.A. Dodgers and involved in a wide range of professional sports. His most recent book, Tell to Win, Connect, Persuade, and Triumph with the Hidden Power of Story, went on to become the number one New York Times bestseller, and I've asked Peter to join us and share his kind of hard-earned lessons from his success and his thinking behind stories. Stories and the ability to tell stories is critical to getting other, others to support your ideas and innovations, and thus why you should be keenly interested in what Peter has to say. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Phil. So hey Peter before we jump in um, you and I are friends on Facebook and we've known each other for a while I noticed your pictures from Africa the last couple of weeks so it looks like you had a great trip
2: yeah I was in uh, I've been to Africa many 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 times almost every year this year I went to Namibia which is has the Kalahari desert and the Namib desert enormous deserts and a uh, very uh, challenging environment there but a remarkable way that the, these big animals have adapted to a very severe environment. You know, it's not anything but the lush uh, uh, plains of Tanzania or the watery areas of the Okavango in Botswana. This is a very Spartan, you know, uh, desert uh, for as far as you can see, and how these big animals can make it is a testament to how adaption works.
1: Yeah, I saw your picture on what the highest dune in Namibia. You yeah, climbed to the right. top of it. Yeah, I saw that yeah. picture. That was it's pretty amazing. My wife and I, we actually spend most of December in Rwanda. I do for-profit investments there as a way of economic development in uh, with the Rwandan government there. So,
2: uh, I but I've of never of been to Namibia. I a movie called Gorillas in the Mist uh, back in the 80s. Oh, that's right. That's and, right. And I so forgot I a lot about of time that in Rwanda, and Uganda. And so I've been there for in
1: a long time yeah it's i just love going we go every december we spend pretty much the whole month there hey by the way you and i have not talked congratulations on winning the nba championship um that was uh that was phenomenal that was phenomenal i need to say i was actually on a i was on a cruise last week in the middle of the atlantic ocean and your name came up someone on the uh on the cruise had my book and asked me to autograph it. And then they asked me if I knew you because you have the front cover quote on, on the cover of my book. So <laughs> I was signing the book, but they were asking about you.
2: <laughs> well, listen, here's, here's the thing. The, the idea is your value proposition, wherever you are, if it's good, follows you. And if it's bad, it follows you. And what you say, and what you do, <laughs> your feet, tongue, and your heart, and your wallet all, all leave indelible imprints on the planet and people. So you hope they're good ones.
1: Yes. So your book, and you and I have had this conversation before, and it's the reason why I asked if you would just take the time today. And one, I want to, again, say thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. But storytelling is so critical to innovators. And the audience for this show are people who are out there coming up with those nascent ideas and figuring out how to take them from just a raw idea to make them commercial. In many cases, those of us in the tech field and are just in the broader innovation space struggle with telling our story, with convincing others to kind of buy in. So can you kind of, kind of lay the, fri- the the foundation here on why, you know, the background on the book, but more importantly, you know, your view of the power of storytelling?
2: Well, it's actually quite simple. We're all wired as storytellers, story listeners, um, and it, it's the, you know, this the technology of language was necessary so that we could pass along the rules, values, beliefs, and statistics and tactics for success, you know, as a species, and be able to work together to climb from the bottom of the food chain to the top of the food chain. And uh, that it remains with us, It is both a survival and a success mechanism. And the reason is very simple. Information and data is really critically important. It shows proof of process, but it is neither memorable, resonant, or actionable. And to, and to activate that and to turn it into purposefulness and to, to get other people to uh, join, buy in, participate, own it, you have to narrate, uh, you have to narrate the information uh, in a way that people can hold on to it. And the way they hold on to it is through narrative, so through organizing the information so that it, it's inside of a narrative, and the narrative actually gives it emotional transportation. And it's true whether you're trying to move one person to action or a whole host of people to action or whether you're the DA trying to convict somebody or whether you're an entrepreneur trying to get an investor or whether you're a a developer trying to get a partner or whether you're in any field and you want to move one or more people to action, you have to really um, find a way to uh, mobilize uh, their efforts by giving giving the information meaning. Human beings crave meaning. What does the information mean? It's not about the features. It's about the benefits. What is the benefit of the technology? What is the benefit of the content? What is the benefit of the information to me as an audience? And when you create that narrative that, that, that showcases that benefit, the audience not only just holds on to it and understands it and recalls it, but they can pass it along and become viral advocates for the proposition. So it's very, very vital process and it's and it's hardwired into all of us some people abandon it in favor of just the facts ma'am just the facts but unfortunately um it's a cold comfort
1: so where where do most people go wrong then i mean as you say you know we're we're naturally storytellers and you're saying that everybody just kind of goes to the facts is it the fact that we don't we don't make that emotional linkage to kind of give it a way to be carried forward or or are there other things that we just that people who aren't naturally storytellers just don't get
2: well. The the, the reason is, is relatively simple. Um, that uh, information alone is a cold comfort. Um, you have to you have to find a way to to give that information, the data, the facts, which are critical, very important, critical important. they have to give it uh, emotion, emotion, and when because because when emotion is bonded with information, the information becomes resonant, memorable, and actionable. And more importantly. Or equally importantly, it gets it can be passed along to other people in the form of that narrative. And so, you know, what you what you're looking at is finding a way to um, give meaning to the information in a narrative, organized way. So, for example, if somebody comes up with a uh, a process to uh, deliver uh, blood pressure uh, 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 instantaneously and easy uh, just to a to a uh, a person. Uh, on the go, every day, uh, immediately, without having to put a cuff on, without having to do anything on, the benefit, the, the actual fact of it, that it does it and how it does it is relatively irrelevant. It functions that way. The benefit is what makes the audience love it, it that it's secure, it's private, it's uh, easily done in just a few seconds, it's immediately available to your doctor. So you've got a whole bunch of benefits. You've got a benefit of knowing the information on a much more, uh, effective, continuous basis. You know that the the healthcare provider can get the information immediately. You can see a continual record of it. You become purposefully involved with tracking it and seeing a, effects of what you do and how it affects it. And the benefit is you have a lo- longer, healthier life where you feel more confident in what you're doing uh, and more secure. So you're selling security, you're selling confidence, You're you're, you're, you're servicing connection, a lot of things. You're not servicing zeros and ones. Zeros and ones don't mean anything. It's the oohs and ahs that they stand for. It's the emotional resonance that they mean. So the idea is you have to have that if you want to get the the recipients, the audiences listening to it, you want to get them to do something. Buy something, go something, own something, join some club, whatever it is. You need to... Find a way to create your call to action so that it is engaging emotionally.
1: Yeah, I mean it's one of the challenges that I've seen when I you know when I'm look thinking about making an investment with an entrepreneur is they, they tend to want to get into, you know, jump to the numbers kind of a thing or just typically the facts of whatever it is the the feature set that they're trying to push. Um, but, you know, again, I think you've hit it right on the head. With this whole concept of how do you tie that emotion into it? How do you make that, you know, carry forward from the standpoint of uh, transporting the, the 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 real benefits versus kind of the, just the uh, the technical facts? And the, again, like I come from the geek field, right? So I, I'm probably the one biggest guilty of this. So we're gonna stay with Peter for the next segment. And uh, so if you're looking to learn more about ideas, creativity, and innovation, text the word innovate to three three four four four. If you're outside the U.S., send an email to innovate at killinnovations.com. So stay right there. I'm Phil McKinney, and you're listening to Killinnovations on the BizTalk Radio Network.
0: This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing, Killer Innovation.
1: I'm Phil McKinney and welcome to Killer Innovations. Our guest today is Peter Guber. In addition to his background in movies and television as chairman and CEO of Mandalay Entertainment, he's also the co owner of the Golden State Warriors and LA Dodgers. Uh, Peter, we were wrapping up the last segment. You were talking about emotion as being a critical piece of storytelling. Now, I seeing good stories, and then there's just something magical about those really great stories, those ones that really hook you. Is there a unique element that differentiates good stories from great stories?
2: Yeah. It, you know, You actually use any emotional platform to get your audience's attention and have them remember and recall the facts anything. You could tell a story about your kids. and You often do that. You often walk into a business room and you're talking about golf or your kids or college, creating an emotional connection, which is the palette for creating credibility and warmth and empathy between you and the people you move to action. I mean, that, that happens a lot. And and, and that, that you can do. You don't have to be a storyteller. You just have to be alive to recognize you want to have it. You're not looking to make contact. You're looking to make connection, whether it's digital or whether it's uh, in person, breathing the same air in the same room, uh, the benefit of connecting the narrative story that you use to create that connection to something that you're trying to um, that relates to something you're trying to do is, of course, the better benefit. And that means you have to do your emotional homework, not just your intellectual homework. And so you look at it and think, you know, what what is a narrative? that I personally have experienced or I observed firsthand, or it's tied to a history thing that's happening in the world, or it's tied to some common event that you can use to to support, if you will, become the Trojan horse for your information, data, facts, and proof of process, which will carry that, it into their hearts, not just their wallets or their head. I mean, you end up creating a a paradigm, you're really creating a relationship, not just a transaction, because relationships trump transactions. And so the idea is if you do your emotional homework and find a narrative that's in your life or his life or her life or their life or that they've seen or that you've seen or some connection to it or anything that demonstrates a relationship to the information you're trying to do, it's it, it it's all that better. I mean, to give you an example quickly, when Jeff Bezos uh, he told the story was when Jeff Bezos faced the dilemma one one day when he saw um, some one of his friends I guess sm- as a kid smashing all his CDs after the father bought all the uh, the, the CDs. Apparently he um, uh, got very anxious because the kid said, I don't want to schlep around around the music. I just want to listen to it. And he thought, what happens if what happens if uh, that happens to me in my book business, my hardcover book business, which I had built, you know, hard and soft cover, the, the, the whole delivery system. What happens if they don't want to shlip that around? Which gave him the whole view of, of e books. And he actually told his uh, chief revenue officer, person who was his main uh, mainstay of his business, he said, Look, I'm, I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going I'm to fire you from your job. But and this is an apocryphal story. I'm shortening it. And he said to him, um, why? is it because this whole ebook business is going to be very important. He said, well, I can I can do that. And there no no ebooks, but I can do that. And he said, yeah, but no, you, you have to not you have to be out of this job. I'm I'm firing you from this job. You have if you want to do it, you're going to do it with a new job, and we're going to have uh you're going to have only be able to take one of our one of our group to it, and you're going to have to go and kick the crap out of uh, uh, out of the our own competition, the thing you built. And he said, well, I don't get that. He said, well, I'm going to burn the boats for you. And whereupon, Bezos told the story of Cortez, uh, who, who landed on the, on the coast of South America with this with his small army of 80 men, all of the horses and, and armament, but faced a 2,000 armed force of indigenous people there. And these soldiers got anxious and started to retreat. So what did Cortez do? He burned the boats. So as Bezos said, I'm burning the boats for you. I'm making you, there is no retreat. You either do this or you're not here. So you use stories, and that story became, you know, uh, apparently a legend, but you use narratives to make the case for what you want people to do in an emotional setting. Now, he could have just uh, had a whole different discussion, something about staying in the course and other emotional factors, and it could have served it, you know, pretty well. But having a narrative that actually relates to the call to action that you want the other party to do, buy my product, join my company, uh, become an investor, uh, uh, participate in this business, whatever you want, you want them that if you can al- align the narrative to the purposefulness of what you want the action to be, all the better.
1: Yeah, I think in fact there's a, there's a couple there's been a couple of articles on what you brought, I think it was with the Dodgers. At treating kind of how do you do that whole emotional narrative from the time someone actually is thinking about buying the ticket all the way through the experience, so your right. definition of an audience literally applies to anything. It isn't like the you know you use the word audience we kind of get a mental model of that, but in this case you've you, you've you've been quite successful at applying it even to the, like the work at the Dodgers, correct?
2: Well, you know you got hit the you you're you're really right on. It's it's in order to not have it on the wrong syllable you have to understand. That the conceit, the conceit is that, and this is really the truth, is that when you look at somebody and you're trying to move them to action or a group of somebody's, yeah, if you start looking at them as customers, they protect their groin and their wallet. You're aiming for a <laughs> transaction. When you give them a narrative, you're aiming at their heart, and that's where hits are born, especially emotional hits. And when you do that, you're really supporting relationship over transaction. And relationship does trump, trump transaction, because oftentimes the facts or the information or the data or the uh, may not support the, what the person wants and, and such. But if, you're, if, you're, if your approach is compelling and connecting and, and, and emotionally resonant, you, you build a relationship with this person. Next time you go into the room or call them the phone or send them a text, they have a different, uh, a different resonance about you. They, they they feel you get them, you know, and so it's a very important tool, uh, a long-term tool, a long-term investment, if you will, in the connection, not the contact, between potential buyers and sellers, partners, colleagues, even media, um, uh, financial people, and even competitors, because the idea is um, when something is compelling emotionally, people, it changes the just having the attention, you're getting their attention into converting them to intention and that's the call to action.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important part, right it's 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 you know people are much more willing to connect and be part of it from an emotional standpoint versus the automatic you know I'm suspect on the message being delivered if if I don't have that hook and uh, you know that hook, though, is very unique to the, each individual customer or audience that you're talking about, whether in your case... That's a very important point,
2: because what right. you really have to say when you're dealing with the recipient of your narrative, the recipient of your call to action, you have to be audience-centric. You have to think yeah. of it, what's in it for me. Not you, them. If you can't think of Exa- what's in it for me, if you can't understand their, the better exactly. for them, you'll e- never Exactly, will
1: never Exactly, Peter. So we're going to hold it right here. We're going to be right back. We'll be right back. Killer Innovations here on the BizTalk Radio Network.
3: BizTalk Radio.
0: killer innovations a show about ideas creativity and how you can innovate welcome to the innovators garage where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation
1: welcome back as we continue our discussions with peter guber hey peter as we were wrapping up in the last segment we were talking about audience but sometimes the challenge is is do you really know the audience and given, you know, your career, you know, storytelling being, come, you know, being kind of the, the cornerstone for that, have you ever been surprised about a story that you thought was great but others just didn't get it?
2: How about all the time? It's called the movie business. <laughs> and what they call that, when that happens in the movie business, they call that a flop. <laughs> so the idea is, wouldn't that be a great strategy, Phil? Oh, I get it. Just make hits. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Of, of, of course, you. Of course, you'd have that. But you know, it's like you drive on the right side of the street, the right-hand side of the street, and stay in the, to the stay to the right of the yellow line in the middle because you believe that's the best place to do. But accidents happen there. All kinds of things happen there. Uncertainty happens there. Sometimes you drive over on the left just to get by somebody. So the idea is, this is a a an approach uh, that has very little risk. I mean, very little risk. And a great deal of reward. It's, there, there are there are there. There's a, a big treasures, and there were some time bombs. Sometimes you tell the wrong story, but you know that's that's true all the time. But there's no real catastrophic risk. You, you're never prevented from leaving a deck, and all the information in it. You're never prevented from that. But if I told you how few people, the leaders, the managers, if I told you how few people actually read the deck, especially all the you know deep text in the deck, you'd be overwhelmingly shocked, because here's what the CEO or the COO says uh, to his people. He comes back, yeah, I got all that. Now, what does it mean? That's what they ask. What does it mean? It means if we do this, we can improve our margin by 9%. It means if we do this, we open up a new whole market where the audience and, and the potential uh, uh, economic rewards are tenfold. I mean, you're telling them the meaning and the benefit, but the idea of how you move them to action, because they often have to move that information and their intention of what to do to other people as well is by using the narrative they, they pay the thing forward with the story and that is the, the, the super magic because the truth is our whole culture our entire, entire human society was built on this premise way before the zeros and ones it was the us and O's around the campfire that allowed the important information for this written language to get passed along for our survival so we could learn to work together, the tactics and everything. And that is still with us today. So the conceit of recognizing that moving people to action by creating a narrative isn't something I invented. I'm not the author of it. I'm the benefactor of it. And all I'm doing is saying, look, this is a resource and a tool with your resourcefulness that can provide you know, nuclear propulsion uh, to your aptitude. It's, it's the attitude that moves the aptitude. And I think it's it's a game changer, and the idea that you, you can know a lot about your own people if they're just firing bullets away of information, they don't, really get, they don't really get what's going on. They don't really get that it's the benefit that has to be projected to your potential audience who want to take action. They don't really get what, what, what activates people to, to own not the narrative but the content in the narrative, and if they don't do that, they're gonna not, not going to have a good batting average. They may get a hit occasionally. The information may be so compelling that the the audience can see what's in it for them, but why not shine the light on that benefit to your audience, and why not shine it in a way that they can pay it forward to other people as evangelizers and advocates for the proposition? So that's what you're really talking about here.
1: So if you were to give the audience, you know, one or two kind of things that they could start working on right now, what would those be?
2: I would say uh, never go into a room. Uh, make a digital connection, send an, an email or a, or, or a written commentary where you want somebody to do something, where you want them to join you, uh, invest in your product, uh, uh, become a proselytizer for your products or processes, uh, whatever it is, one or many people, unless you first understand who your audience is, who they are, and what is in it for them to, to become, to own this. What's in it for them? What's the benefit to them? And how you understand that is how you can connect with them. Uh, Never go into a room or make a proposition in writing or verbally or orally or anything unless you understand what your goal is. What is it that you want them to do? Do you know how many people come into my room? Major people will come into my office, room, on my phone, and I wait for three minutes, five minutes to find out what do they really want. Okay, what are you here for? They don't even know what their goal is. If they don't, if they're hiding their goal, I'm never going to trust them. They got to pride their goal. They got to think it's 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 a real value proposition, and so I think that's important. They should be that should be a very key element of uh, you know in it. And then, in the engagement with people, engage, activate, engage them, engage them physically, emotionally, intellectually, you know, and, and that is, is is part of the process. Audiences, and that means customers, audiences, but you know buying people or selling people, they want to be participants in today's world, not passengers. And your job is to make them active in your narrative. So that's my best advice.
1: That's great. That's great. In fact, on the goal piece, one of the things I've noticed, Peter, in your career is is it seems like partnerships have played an important role for all of your activities, the partnerships with the part ownerships and the sports teams, the partnerships and the, you know, Columbia, Sony Pictures, and then the forming of, of Mandalay Bay. is did I am, I am I reading that right? Would you say that yeah, partnerships? Well, you, and, know,
2: you know, I believe in relationship capital. I believe it's an incredible capital. Relationships trump transactions. Relationships are enduring. They're not one-time things. You may not, you know, hit the ball over the fence. You may not get them to buy your product. You may not get them to invest in your business. You may not get them to support your, your endeavor. But when you build a relationship, you have many times at bat, using a mixed metaphor. You have many times that you can come back to it because it creates the most important thing, trust. It creates trust. (laughs) Trust is the foundation of a relationship. And so the idea is when you're in business, you're in the relationship business, whether it's a partner or what you call a customer or what I call an audience or what we call a buyer or a seller or what we call a participant or what we call even an employee. When they look at that that way, the process has so many more resonant elements to it that can work for you, both now and in the future. And so the idea is, whatever happens to that transaction, that's not the end of the relationship. And that's really important.
1: So what do you look for in a partner? I mean, I've had some bad experiences early in my career trying to do partnerships and them not quite turning out how i had expected them to be so you've had a lot of success with a wide range and number of partners what what's your trick how do you what well, is I've it had, you look for it's in a partner been
2: paid. like everybody you can't just make it so the idea is think of it this way uh, when you look for a partner you have to don't try to make it 50-50 don't try to cut it so tight you know recognize that sometimes You'll get what turns out to be a larger benefit, and sometimes she'll get to be what's a larger benefit. But you're in, a, you're in a process, not just a transaction. And if you trust that over time that each of you will um, do what's best for the partnership, the fact that you got a little less, a little more, you shouldn't be measuring it all the time. You should have a co-joined view of what you want to accomplish. You have to look how you pitch and catch. Uh, and you have to recognize that each of the partners has to be heard. You have to be heard, and she or he has to be heard. So that you, if you have what you look for, are uh, p- people who are empathetic, who are good communicators, who are good listeners, which is very important, who are not risk-averse, very important, because all entrepreneurship and leadership requires risk, not risk-averse. You look for an alignment of intention. Uh, you looked at their track record, not just for success or failure, but how they managed other relationships. You're not going to change somebody who's had five bad relationships and three lawsuits just because you made a deal with them. Their behavior is not going to change. Look at the direction of their feet, tongue, heart, and wallet and see if they're going the same direction. If they are, you're looking at somebody that might be a good partner.
1: Oh, that is great. That's great. Peter, I just want to thank you again. For coming and, and spending this time with us, this has been immensely valuable. <laughs> One for me personally, but the audience gets to kind of you know look over our shoulder and listen into the conversation. And I want to also thank you for the support you've given me over uh, the last uh, three or four years after we first met, and the support you gave me on my book. It uh, it does mean a lot. If people want to follow what you're doing, where can they find you?
2: Uh, if they want to follow, what they want they can find me. And if they can't find me, they shouldn't <laughs> be following me.
1: That's a good point, Peter. Thanks a lot. Okay. uh, Stay tuned. Uh, We got a killer question coming up next. Uh, I'm Phil McKinney. This is Killer Innovations. You're listening to the BizTalk Radio Network.
3: talk radio
0: this is killer innovations a show about ideas creativity and how you can innovate Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing, killer innovation.
1: I'm Phil McKinney, and welcome to the Garage. Get ready to exercise your creative muscle. This week's killer question is, how can I take advantage of emerging trends and fads? How can I take advantage of emerging trends and fads? The key is, to being able to take advantage of whatever an emerging trend is or a fad that's emerging is you got to see them coming. And to see them coming, you need to see what I call the weak signal. Weak signals are the equivalent of kind of the canary in the coal mine. They're the unspoken needs and wants of your customers. Now, if you pay attention to the weak signals, they'll give you the heads up that something radical and possibly uncomfortable is coming your way. You're not going to find them on the front page of a newspaper or some industry analyst report. In fact, if you do that, You're too late. If you're pitching me a signal, a weak signal that you've uncovered during some conversation with somebody or you found it in some obscure magazine, uh, okay, I'm interested. A weak signal is something that kind of seeps into the culture almost unnoticed. And when a weak signal interacts with what I call the rule of five, I really start to take notice. Now the rule of five for me means that I've heard the same core kind of idea that something new is happening five times within a very short period of time, usually within about a month. Now, here's a good example of how a weak signal about a cultural shift brought me to a moment where I kind of said to myself who I need to pay attention. Now, I've always been interested in graffiti and I make a point of observing it when I'm traveling, particularly in Europe. Now, it's an interesting looks and thoughts and interest of a group of people that I never interact with. It's basically their way of messaging to the rest of us. Now, sometimes it's quite visually stunning And it's basically a way for people to say that I was here. Now, I remember visiting a small, obscure French castle well off the tourist route. And on the walls of this dungeon were basically chiseled the outline of a hand and the carved words that, that in effect, said Pierre was here. Now, this particular handprint in this uh, dungeon was, was from the 14th century. So people have always felt that need to basically announce their presence. So... You know, 14th century version of graffiti Now fast forward to the 1990s Now I buy a lot of magazines I travel a lot um, And years ago I picked up a copy of a magazine Called Graphimatosum in, in the old Tower Record Store In Piccadilly Circus in London and Needless to say the Tower Record Store is no longer there It's a magazine aimed at graffiti artists The magazine showed pictures of graffiti art From all over the world But it also highlighted gallery exhibitions Built around graffiti now consider this, it was once considered a crime and it was now becoming shown in galleries. and was being sold to early adopters and eventually ending up on the walls of people's condos and houses. Now that's all well and interesting and it appealed to me as I'm a former, I was originally an architecture major, I'm more graphically focused, but it didn't really herald that there was a big change coming. And the magazine, but the magazine and the gallery exhibits were weak signals, but they were still isolated weak signals. Not long after that, probably within the next 10 years, I saw an early version of, a, of an application called Tag and Scan. Tag and Scan allowed you to leave digital graffiti um, up and about basically by texting a message and having it geolocated wherever you were standing. Uh, now, the, the key here is, is you know, people would do these tags and scans. It was limited to a very small geography within London. And People would basically post and say, hey, this restaurant was fantastic or don't go into this restaurant. The service is terrible. Now, this is graffiti set to maximum. It used to be that if a restaurant was tagged with graffiti, the owner could go out and paint over it and scrub it off. But with digital graffiti, you could now leave a virtual message and the owner couldn't do anything about it. And this transition from obscurity or the niche to the edge of the mainstream is that first hint of broad adoption. Now, transactions like this are hard to see, but when you find them, jump on it. The Tag & Scan app was an early experiment. It was limited to the small section of London, but I recognize that this program hinted at something bigger. Today, we've seen the explosion of these location-based services like Foursquare, Yelp, Facebook, um, you name it. Now, these are direct successors to Tag & Scan. Tag & Scan came out early 2000, we're now in 2015, they all tapped into the same desire to be known, to be remembered, to have your opinion felt and heard, and the same desire that caused people to chisel their name in a rock or spray you know, the wall with uh, spray paint. You know, nothing is worse than being anonymous and unnoticed, and each of these examples evolved into a thing that came before. The leap from physical to digital graffiti was a catalyst to all kinds Of location-based services. Of course, the trouble with weak signals, in my case in particular, is exactly that. They're weak. Until the rules of five kicks in, it's easy to ignore them or tell yourself that nothing's going to happen with these trends. Which is why I'm not telling you about my big launch and hugely successful product that is a direct descendant of tag and scan. I can look back in 2020 hindsight and point out where I missed it. You know, even though I was highly focused on this uh, this graffiti culture, I totally missed it. Keep in mind that when we are talking about a weak signal, in this case, it took almost 15 years to go from fringe to broad adoption. 15 years. And it's easy to get distracted and fall into the trap of thinking that you'll never make it. So what's the next trend or fad that's giving off a weak signal? So some of the sparking points for this week What hints did you get from major changes in customer behavior, product innovations, or shifts in the marketplace occurred? What non-standard input, like reading fringe magazines, do you use as a way to find your weak signals? And then how do you share those emerging trends within your organization or your network? So get out there. Take these questions. Challenge yourself to find that next trend or that next breakthrough. So... As we wrap up the show, if you want to stay connected, text the word INNOVATE to 33444. If you're outside the U.S., you can send an email to innovate.killerinnovations.com. All of the show notes are over at killerinnovations.com. It's a place where you can find all about the innovation groups, such as the Killer Innovations group on LinkedIn. See who's on the upcoming guest, listen to past shows, and find the show notes and links. Also, visit Talk Radio or at biztalkradio.com. While you're there, grab the mobile app. And you can listen to Kill Innovations live every Sunday as we broadcast with our guests from the studio. And if you know of an innovator whose story that others should hear, drop me a note at phil at Today's show was engineered by Brandon, who has that tough job of trying to keep me on the clock and keep me on schedule. I'm Phil McKinney. Don't let the innovation critics get to you. Get around those innovation antibodies and keep on innovating. We'll see you next week.
3: The opinions you hear on BizTalk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, BizTalk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on BizTalk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about BizTalk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. BizTalk Radio.